This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. All right, here's an item we cannot resist starting the show with. A Scotsman and his wife walked past a swanky new restaurant. Did you smell that food, she asked. It smells absolutely incredible. Being a kind-hearted Scotsman, he thought, what the hell, I'll treat her. So they walked past it again. We mentioned on last week's program, I think, that gaslighting was chosen as the word of the year for 2022. I guess it's appropriate in an era of deep fakes and the dark web and deep states and fake news and a whole lot of trolling and just misinformation out there and convincing you that what's not true is true. We're going to have quite a bit more to say about that very topic in our second segment, and I'll explain why in a moment. Well, actually, I alluded to it on last week's program, so I guess I should do it now. I happened to stumble into a movie titled Mr. Jones. It was about the situation in Russia and Ukraine, circa 1931, wherein Stalin's government decided to starve out the people of Ukraine who were resisting his efforts at collectivization. Quite a horrible tale. And maybe one of the most horrible things about it is how it was not reported in the West, except by a few courageous people, among them the man whom the movie is named after, Gareth Jones. In our second segment today, we're going to take a look at what that was all about. On this program last year, I believe, we did read from an account of Malcolm Muggeridge, who reported under an assumed name of what was going on in Ukraine. Gareth Jones had the courage to report under his own name and paid quite a stiff price for it. What happened back in the Stalin era has a lot to do with what is currently happening in Ukraine. And we could no doubt do an entire show on this very topic. And uh, trust me, we'll get back to it in our second segment. Another movie that I saw in the interim was one you've no doubt heard of, dear listener, because it's sort of a legendary Hollywood flop. The movie was Ishtar, starring Hollywood royalty Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and directed by comedy genius Elaine May, which somehow did not manage to click with movie audiences. I was inspired to look up the movie after reading a a review of it in The New Yorker. I guess it was playing somewhere in New York, and they saw fit to mention it. I think I'll quote from their, uh, their blurb on it. Said The New Yorker, Elaine May's last feature to date from 1987, and the sad story is this movie was such a flop that nobody gave her the reins to do one since, is an elaborately antic musical of startling, even disturbing originality. It's the story of the world's worst singer-songwriter duo, a nerdy Texan named Lyle Rogers, Warren Beatty, and a self-styled swinger, Chuck Clark, Dustin Hoffman, who, owing to their oblivious inability to get their careers going in New York, accept a gig in Morocco. There, amid the sub-rosa manipulations of a local revolutionary and CIA agent, in this case played by Charles Grodin, spectacularly well, the musical pair finds themselves secretly working on opposite sides of an international conflict. 
My impression was, despite the fact that this is a renowned flop, there are many redeeming moments in this motion picture. You laugh out loud frequently. It probably has almost as many laughs as the Hope and Crosby vehicle, The Road to Morocco. That movie, however, gelled nicely and is still, is still much beloved by movie audiences, where this one just left too many loose ends. So I guess the point of all this is that uh, I recommend, dear listener, that you give this one a chance sometime if you've you know, got a few spare hours. And, also having been gotten into a comedy mood, I dusted off an old DVD I have of the Marx Brothers in A Day at the Races. That is probably the last memorable Marx Brothers film. When they went over to MGM, the then director of the studio, Irving Thalberg, thought a great deal of the Marxes and helped put together A Night at the Opera, which is, by any standards, a classic comedy. Unfortunately, during the making of A Day at the Races, Thalberg passed away. And it turned out the head of MGM, Louis Mayer, didn't have quite the same reverence and fondness for the boys, as did Thalberg. Groucho did not help in this, apparently, because at one point when Mayer visited the set of A Day at the Races and asked, how's it going? Groucho responded with, what do you care? We're working for Thalberg. Ouch! Apparently Mayer never forgot that slight. Although they did make six films after that, uh, none of them have quite the pizzazz of the original seven that they did. We hope that you took our advice uh, last week and went out and checked out the occultation of the planet Mars, which uh, saw fit to disappear behind the full moon. By odd coincidence, Mars was exactly opposite uh, the sun at, quote, opposition, unquote, meaning it was pretty much at its brightest. And so was the full moon, which by definition is in a straight line between the Earth and the sun and it. And we certainly hope our guest on last week's show, Matt Kaplan, was able to go out and observe this astronomic curiosity as well. And in other lunar news, it turns out that a Japanese firm is racing to make the first private landing on the moon. There apparently is a cash prize out there being offered, the Google Lunar X Prize, for the first successful moon landing not funded by a government. The Israelis tried to cash in on this back in 2019, but alas crashed. It apparently has a couple of other competitors, which are also trying to to get to the moon. We'll have to see how this new space race goes. I think, Mr. Moon, we're going to try and go at least one show and not bag on Elon Musk. It's hard to do, but we'll, we'll try. So I guess we won't say anything further about Twitter today. We are somewhat encouraged to note that a new poll shows that 64% of Americans now say that social media has been bad for democracy. We're glad that's being recognized, compared with 34% who say it's been good. 79% of Americans say the Internet has made people more divided politically, while 69% say it's made people less civil. Let's take a moment to talk about some of the good things that tech is doing. The Associated Press noted recently that scientists have developed a rather unlikely new use for facial recognition technology, Researchers at Colgate University in New York took more than 1,700 images of about 400 individual seals in Maine. And with this database, dubbed SealNet, they were able to use facial recognition software to identify the individuals with almost 100% accuracy. Well, they say this may help them monitor and track mammals in the ocean. And since there's some endangered uh, species of seals out there, this, this might prove useful. We hope so. We have no word from China on whether the Chinese are jumping on the bandwagon on this to monitor their seals, you know, as as they appear in Chinese waters. 
And over in the UK, a startup is developing a video game system which is designed to unleash your dog's cognitive potential. <laughs> Joy Paws, soon to be released gaming console, will offer interactive puzzle games including whack-a-mole challenges, which dogs play by touching a saliva-resistant touchscreen with their snouts. The company's co-founder, Dursum Avdar, said the games will stimulate bored dogs and help ward off canine dementia among older pets. And doggone it, Mr. Miller, since we are nearing Christmas, we have appropriate music for this. off on you know who this week but uh, it doesn't mean we can't take a whack at mark zuckerberg and facebook owner meta which apparently is playing some very hard ball with congress according to the wall street journal the social media giant is threatened to yank news off its platform if lawmakers pass the journalism competition and preservation act which would require tech platforms such as Facebook, and Google to give newspapers and television stations a cut of digital ad revenues. Well, of course, you have to ask, why would they do that? Just because these people are producing the news items, why should they be compensated for it? Both companies naturally have pulled back from voluntary plans to pay for news. In negotiations over similar rules in Australia last year, Facebook removed news from its platform for several days to extract concessions. Now, of course, it's no secret that the tremendous decline of local journalism, newspapers, radio, etc., is due to the fact that that the ad revenues are being scooped up by Facebook and Google instead. Facebook, lovely Facebook, has pulled out all the stops to kill this legislation and behaving, notes Fortune magazine, like the greedy bully of the block. And we noted an editorial on November 18th in the East Bay News on this very topic, titled, Big Tech Poses a Threat to Local News Survival. This is worth quoting from. Local journalism is a cornerstone of democracy and a vital source of information for communities across the country, with newsrooms covering local politics, high school sports, local business openings, cultural events, and other matters that help a community remain vibrant and connected. But the industry is facing an existential crisis because of the unyielding power of big tech platforms such as Google and Facebook. With less than four weeks left in this Congress, now is the time for the Senate to pass the Journalism, Competition, and Preservation Act. The JCPA was favorably reported out of committee on September 22nd with strong bipartisan support and is now heading to the floor for a vote. Noted the editors, big tech benefits tremendously from journalism content. I love that. Journalism content. Someone does the reporting, they take the story, and they're calling it journalism content. Yet, notes the editors, they refuse to pay local publishers fairly for the journalistic content that fuels their platforms. As a result, Local papers are being replaced by tech platforms using black box algorithms designed to keep users inside their walled gardens, all the while charging exorbitant ad fees that consume 70% of the nation's advertising revenue. Since 2000, U.S. newspaper circulation has dropped by half, with 31 million fewer 
daily newspapers in circulation as of 2020. The vast majority of U.S. counties have no regular newspaper. Rural areas are news deserts. And as local publications struggle to stay afloat, big tech has only doubled down on their anti-competitive practices, further consolidating their control over the flow of information. This is fundamentally unfair, and the JCPA would bring about much-needed change. Should be noted that in other locations around the world, news publishers are being compensated by big tech. Australia passed a similar policy to the JCPA, the News Media Bargaining Code, for media organizations to bargain for payment, which has produced significant revenue, billions of dollars if translated to the U.S. market for hundreds of publications of all sizes. One Sydney journalism professor noted she hadn't seen her industry so financially robust in decades. Anyway, we're going to see what happens when this gets to the Senate and gets to a vote. And here's what I find to be a horrifying item from the New York Times article by Michael Levinson. To quote from it, For nearly 100 years, drivers have been listening to AM radio, an American institution crackling with news, traffic, weather, sports, and an eclectic variety of other programs. But that dashboard staple could be going the way of manually cranked windows and car ashtrays as electric vehicles began to grab more of the U.S. marketplace. An increasing number of electric models have dropped AM radio in what broadcasters call a worrisome shift that could spell trouble for the stations and deprive drivers of a crucial source of news in emergencies. Car makers say that electric vehicles generate more electromagnetic interference than gas-powered cars, duh, which can disrupt the reception of AM signals and cause static noise and a high-frequency hum. FM signals are more resistant to this. BMW said in a statement referring to the system that powers its electric vehicles, quote, rather than frustrate customers with inferior reception and noise, the decision was made to leave it off vehicles that feature e-drive technology. Tesla, Audi, Porsche, and Volvo have often removed AM radio from their electric vehicles, as has Volkswagen from its electric SUV. Now, some experts say the reception problems are not insurmountable. Electromagnetic interference could be controlled with shielding cables, filters, and careful placement of electronic components. Puja Nair, a communication system engineer at entertainment technology company Xperi I, which owns HD radio technology, notes that such changes require money and effort, and it's not clear whether car makers are willing to spend more in the service of AM radio fans. The Drive, a car news service that's reported on the trend, noted that AM radio has lost favor in Europe, so car makers there might see less of a need to keep it. If more electric vehicles drop AM radio, some broadcasters say they could lose a connection with their core listeners. The article quotes Ron January, operations manager at WATVAM, is saying, It's killer for us because most of our listening audience is in the morning drive and afternoon drive when people are going to work and coming from work. And if we're not in their car, we're non-existent. About 47 million Americans listen to AM radio, representing about 20% of the radio listening public. Although it's noted that AM listeners tend to be older than other radio listeners, about one-third or over 65, putting us uh, in that undesirable demographic. Anyway, people related to AM radio are suggesting that you write your car company and tell them that you don't want them to drop AM. Quoted Brian Winekens, the owner of WRDN in Duran, Wisconsin who produces a lot of farm-related programming available on both AM and FM. 
you can make a vehicle drive by itself, you can make a decent radio receiver. In a letter to car manufacturers published in December 1st, Senator Edward Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, requested that they keep AM radio in electric vehicles, describing it as an issue of public safety. Markey wrote, quote, Despite innovations such as the smartphone and social media, AM-FM broadcast radio remains the most dependable, cost-free, and accessible communication mechanism for public officials to communicate with the public during times of emergency. Adding, as a result, any phase-out of broadcast AM radio could pose a significant communications problem during emergencies. Diane Newman, operations and brand manager at WWL in New Orleans, said that during Hurricane Katrina and other natural disasters, the station carried vital information about rescue and recovery efforts. Newman said there was no Wi-Fi, there was no phone connection. You take away AM radios and cars and you take away a lifeline, a connection when the community needs you most. We would remind listeners that, um, you know, whether you or not you spend much time listening to AM radio, it is available without having a line of sight connection, which is required for FM broadcasting. I got a radio down by the beach that uh, doesn't work at all for FM, but pulls in AM just fine for this very reason. The article closes by noting that outside a Tesla dealership in New Jersey, hmm, Tesla, who does that remind us of? Hmm, The Tesla owners said they were not terribly bothered by the lack of AM radio. The company began phasing it out several years ago, prompting a 2018 headline in the Wall Street Journal, your Tesla can go from zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds, but can't get AM radio. And they quote Brandon Utrera, age 27, who said he hadn't noticed that the Tesla Model Y bought five years earlier didn't have an AM radio. The only time I really listen to AM radio is when the Yankees are on, he said. He said his parents listen to it more than he does, although he couldn't remember the station. It's for the old timers, he said. Yeah, maybe so, and probably for people who are victims of the next giant earthquake that hits California. But enough of that. All right, let's make a little move into the thing we like to call the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for finding emptiness. With the news that a Buddhist temple in Thailand was left unstaffed after all four of its resident monks tested positive for methamphetamine. Apparently, community leader Sungyut Namburi said, I never thought that drugs would spread to temples. And no, we have no information on their drug testing policy at those Buddhist temples. It was, on the other hand, a genuinely bad week last week for yucking it up with the news that Supreme Court Justice Sam Alito joked during oral arguments about seeing, quote, black children in Ku Klux Klan outfits, unquote, and suggested Justice Elena Kagan might, quote, be familiar, unquote, with AshleyMadison.com, which is a dating service for people seeking affairs. As we understand it, in the wake of that, Alito's booking at Laughs Unlimited was canceled. And in what has to be described as a truly ugly week for sleep hygiene, there's this story from Mannheim, Germany. 
Evidently, a 72-year-old hospital patient turned off her roommate's oxygen machine because it was too noisy. Apparently, after hospital staff explained to the patient that the noisy machine was necessary to keep her roommate alive, she heard what they had to say, and then a couple hours later turned off the machine again. It was still making too much noise. Some people just aren't very considerate. And in other wacky news related to medicine, we have this from Auckland, New Zealand. New Zealand courts temporarily took guardianship over a sick six-month-old boy this week because his parents refused to allow him surgery unless doctors could guarantee he would receive blood only from unvaccinated donors. Evidently, the boy's parents believe, against all evidence, that transfusions of blood from people vaccinated against COVID could kill their son. So they had lined up 20 unvaccinated donors for his open-heart surgery and sought a court ruling to compel Health New Zealand to use only those donors' blood. The fed-up court ruled that their request was unreasonable and gave temporary custody of the child to state health officials. The baby has a heart valve disorder that requires urgent surgery, and he would have been treated months ago except for his parents' demands. And another news about striking a blow against craziness, they've apparently arrested Sam Bankman-Fried over in the Bahamas in the wake of the collapse of his cryptocurrency exchange. According to the New York Times, ordinary investors are asking, now what? Evidently, the firm's promoting a cryptocurrency lacked the basic protections for investors offered by a brokerage or a bank, and a lot of people are going to lose all of their dough. Hmm. Uh, Doug, uh, Mitch McConnell is on line one. Oh, Senator McConnell? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Well, so you've elected to call us again, Senator. Well, you know, Doug, your show is just a venue I need. I, I learned to play the harmonica as a boy, and the leadership pitched in to buy me a new one. Now, I mentioned to do some of the tunes Grandpappy taught me. Well, you know, I'd, I'd bet a lot of our listeners would just love to hear my old Kentucky home. Yeah, well, well, who thought I'd play that? Nobody, really. I was just a guess. You know, I actually lean more towards Camp Town Racers. You know, the old Stephen Foster. We're, we're open to anything, sir, but uh, I'd like to just talk some politics at first. You mentioned your wife last time you were here. My wife, Elaine Chow, yes, Labor Secretary in the uh, last administration. Who resigned after January 6th. Well, yes. Bless her heart, the little woman was pretty hurt that those folks running amok on TV. No, we can imagine, sure. You know, naturally, she was worried a bit about her better half getting slapped around or taken hostage. Well, we saw the coverage. That's, that's understandable. They did hustle me off to an undisclosed location, but it wasn't too bad, actually. There was excellent French pastries, fresh coffee, and fresh-baked schnitzel. Mm. Good cell service, too. Mm. What, what about the worry of your getting zip-tied? Forget it. Look. Elaine decided she had enough by January 7th, okay? And let's face it, running a lame duck labor department wasn't exactly exciting by then anyhow. Yeah, we suppose not. The sweetheart contracts were all dealt out by then, and Elaine really wanted to get a leg up on the Chinese New Year planning. You know, for our annual Louisville Gung Hei Fat Choi Festival. How'd that go, by the way? Oh, it was great. We had a sea cucumber eating contest. That was a huge hit. Uh, They're delicious, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Several listeners wrote in to ask about about Trump calling her Coco Chow. You know, yeah, okay, look, did we like it? No. But it gave Elaine's cousin Ling Ling an idea to reach out to the people of Purina. She got a brainstorm about marketing chocolate-flavored doggy treats. We could actually call them Coco Chow, you know, you get it? 
Ling Ling thought cocoa-flavored pellets would be a surefire hit with Fido. Yeah, but chocolate's bad for dogs. You know, it's funny you say that, Doug, because that's exactly what Purina said. Anyway, look, forget Coco Chow or calling her chop suey in meetings. The man uses nicknames. Big deal. You should have heard what he called Sonny Perdue and Wilbur Ross. Well, we'd, we'd like to hear that. Well, um, you know, I, I, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but the agriculture secretary was Jimmy Dean's pure pork sausage behind his back. Ow. And Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, he was Mr. Ed. Well, I guess like Wilbur, the guy with the talking horse TV show, then. You tell me. And Energy Secretary Rick Perry got stuck with Alamo Alvin. Being he's from Texas. Well, I suppose. Look, look, it's all water under the bridge, Doug. I'm settling in for another run as minority leader. That must be something of a disappointment for you. Well, minority leader is a fine position, Mr. Everett, fine position. But when you were majority leader, you, you blazed quite a trail of block legislation and, and stymied judicial appointments. Well, thank you. I did put my shoulder to the wheel, that's true. Uh, you made mention of a Senate talent show. One of our listeners wanted to, to know more about that. Well, it's a friends and donors thing, Doug. You know, part of the annual Christmas party. We keep out all the cameras. Why is that? Well, the optics are poor. I mean... Josh Hawley's impression of Flip Wilson is dead on, especially his Geraldine impression. You know, most people love it, but the dressing and drag irks some folks, you know, and to say nothing of the um, blackface. I see. And Chuck Grassley, oh, he does a damn fine ventriloquist act, Doug. You cannot see his lips move. For real, you cannot see them <laughs> okay. move. Okay. That one, I think, maybe we should televise. You know, his dummy is Pedro the Taco Maker. You really need to see that little wooden fella do his Mexican weather report routine. Well, I bet he wows him with that. Oh, it slays him, Doug, every time. As does Senator Romney with his juggling act. Old Mitt gets up on stage in his Brooks Brothers suit. Then he tosses sharpened tomahawks over his head like nobody's business. It's quite a sight. They are razor sharp on both ends, I might add. Well, Senator, I'd stay out of the front row on that one if I, if I were you. Yeah. yeah. What, what else? Well, the minority leader gets to coach the Senate in the uh, House versus Senate flag football game. Well, you must be very sad not to obtain Herschel Walker for your backfield. You said it. And, man, am I tired of Ted Cruz as tight end. Oh, you know, talk about molasses in January. We lost 34-6 to because Ted kept getting flags pulled by the Women's House Caucus, for crying out loud. Just hate to hear that. You know, he can block. The man has the bulk for that, but... He drops every pass, then blames Marco Rubio for putting too much zip on the ball. It's lame, quite frankly, lame. Rubio's your quarterback. It's true, Marco can't see over the offensive line real well, but his arm is okay. Anyway, Schumer can take over the whole business if in two years I get another term as majority leader. Well, then you could again settle down to blocking judicial appointments and holding up legislation. When my country calls, I stand ready to serve. Nice. I should know, Doug. I do have a new book out for young people. It's kind of a how-to book for America's youth interested in the workings of our federal government. Well, now, Senator, that's great news, and that's very encouraging. What's it called? Sand in the Gearbox. So you show folks how to slow advancement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, snail's pace. And, if possible, grinding things to a complete halt. Well, there probably is a market, we imagine, uh, for that among young Republicans. You bet. We are forming a think tank, in fact, to help promote our ideas. Such as they are, because I imagine a pretty small tank will meet your needs. Well, we are underwritten by the Obstruction Construction Company. We expect its many offshore dark money accounts to do a heck of a lot of good. Heck of a lot. Well, if you say so. Are you ready to play the harmonica? Oh, drat. 
Where have we been churning out so much chin music? I'm about out of time. You can do a teaser? All right, hold, hold, all right, hold on. Let me find my harp. Go ahead. Man, I'm not sure where I stuck the old tin sandwich. Hold on. No rush, Senator. Oh, here it is. All right, you ready? Yeah. You ready? Okay, here we go. Now, keep in mind, this is just a little bit of a taste. All right, so here we go. Well, that's very promising, Senator. I guess you really can play the harmonica. Oh, that's very kind of you, Doug. Very kind of you. Yeah. Really enjoyed this time, but I have to go. I do want to reiterate, let's not stir up ill will between the former president and myself. The wife and I really don't need some MAGA dude popping into our back door waving around a claw hammer. Capiche? Yes. Well, please do come back and, uh, and again, play your harmonica for us. Well, Grandpappy would be proud, I know. So, yes, we'll give that a go for sure. Very good, sir. That was Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the current Senate Minority Leader. We appreciate his call. We need to take a, a short break, so let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 